blessing uh, to be able to be in fellowship with you and to worship with everyone here in the room and those who are tuning in online. Uh, it's a privilege, uh, honor and privilege to be able to give God's word this morning. If you have your Bibles with you today, you can open them up to Matthew chapter 18. And we're actually going to be in the following section of scripture, uh, verses 15 to 20. So Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If you, not, if you do not have a Bible with you, it's totally fine. Feel free to use the Bibles that are in front of you in the pews. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, we encourage you to take that copy home with you today and receive it as a gift from First Alliance Church to you all. Growing up in uh, the North Hill Akron community, uh, the neighborhood was very diverse. Uh, our schools, uh, the schools I went to growing up, had a beautiful community of people uh, from all over the world. Uh, there were, and as interesting as that was, having so many different types of cultures and different people groups that were in that neighborhood, there were only very few Hmong families within that. Uh, it was my family, and there were about three other Hmong families. And one of those families, they went to church with us. Uh, so naturally, uh, their kids became friends with our family. And that's where my friend Jer, G-E-R, Jer, not Ger, uh, Jer, uh, Jer comes into the picture. If you're familiar with the Hmong community, the name Jer is a very, very common name. Um, so my friend Jer and I, uh, we were definitely best friends growing up. Uh, during the summers, for example, we would ride our bikes uh, to Cuyahoga National Park, and we would explore the many different parks there. Uh, I remember many times where we've, I don't think this was very safe, but we rode our bikes without helmets and without any safety equipment, and we were just kids just riding our bikes, but then all the while there's these trucks and these giant cars driving by us, and it was great. <laughs> uh, we went fishing. Uh, we went fishing all the time. And then on top of that, you know, as any uh, group of kids would do is that we try to convince each other's parents to have us uh, to, to sleep over at each other's homes, right? And then that's during the summer. During the school year, uh, he lived a block away from the middle school that we both attended. And after school, I will walk there. I will walk to his home, uh, to his house, and we'll just hang out. Him and I will just hang out for an hour or two until my siblings got uh, got out of school and my parents came to pick them up and then they came to pick me up. So we were around each other a lot. As we got older, his family eventually did move out of the North Hill community and I would eventually move away for school and just like that, a few months turned into a few years. Life would happen, and then I got married, and then the next thing you know is that we became more like acquaintances rather than friends. And all of this is that as I'm, as we're thinking through this, and as I was thinking through this this week, is that there was this longing in that season to connect with him again. So have, have you ever longed in your heart to connect with someone? 
I think many of us, we can relate with that, this longing to connect with an estranged family member uh, or this longing to connect with a once close but now distant friend. Or maybe this longing to connect is with mom or with dad. Or maybe this longing that you've been wanting is with the Lord. The Lord's word, and I mean the very words that he spoke, it gives us comfort on not only in that situation, but also practical instructions on how we are to renew those relationships. In our time together, as we look into this passage, there are two goals that I hope to accomplish this morning. And my hope is that we grasp, the first one is that we grasp a deeper understanding of the Lord's heart for his church. And the second is for us to get a deeper understanding of the duty that is given to us as agents of renewal. And we'll, we'll explore that in a bit So let's turn to our scripture this morning, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. And the Lord's word says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Let's pray. Lord, we commit this time to you. And Lord, I simply ask that your word is heard. May your spirit, the spirit that sanctifies us, May it be at work and may we be open. May we be willing to be transformed into the likeness of your son Jesus through your word, through your truth. We come before you and we commit this time to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. This passage... It's often referenced by ministry workers all throughout the world. And it's, sometimes it's just, okay, this is how we deal with conflict. And that's, that's the basis and that's the only thing that we can kind of see this passage used for. And more specifically about church discipline. And yes, this passage does talk about how we're to confront a brother or sister who is living in sin. And I would like to add that let's not miss the point of church discipline though. 
It is not to marginalize. It is not to find a reason to exclude them or to, 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 to push them out of church life. But it is ultimately for them to be restored into the family of God. I believe that in order to grasp the true value of this passage, we have to take a step back and look at the objective of the Lord's heart. And that will take us to the previous sections of our scripture this morning, starting from the beginning of Matthew 18. Now, we're not going to preach a whole series on Matthew 18 because we'll be here until the new year. Um, But a quick summary of these sections. Matthew 18 is considered by Bible scholars to be the community discourse. So what do we mean by that? It means that Jesus' teaching in this section is how we are to live in harmony with one another. You see, Jesus knew that his time on earth was coming to a close here. So he wanted to make sure that his disciples knew how to love one another. Within this discourse, starting at verse 1, we see this. Jesus, he dissolves. He goes like, okay, in the community of God, Jesus dissolves the structure that was built up by the society. And what I mean by this is that he's not going to the temple with picket signs protesting what the temple has established. Or he's not going to Rome and approaching the Roman authority about how they're running things. No, but rather what he brings to light is how we're to value one another. In the beginning of Matthew 18, he starts by telling his disciples is that if you want to be great, you have to humble yourself like a child. Not being childish but to be childlike. To realize that the status in the Lord's kingdom is not about age. It's not about how much wisdom you have. It's not about gender, but rather it's dependent on the trust and the receptivity of the Lord. So what Jesus does here in the first section of the community discourse is that he evens the playing field. Yes, some of us, we may look at this, we may go like, well, that's not fair. But what Jesus wants us to understand here is that for us to come to the Lord, we have to come to him as child and as children of him. So we go into this next section. Jesus then talks about dealing with temptations to sin. Simply put, because we can be here all day with this passage too, is that if there is something in your life that is destroying your soul and your spirit, Jesus is saying this, is to get rid of it. Do not wait. You see, Jesus, he goes on to talk about the reality of hell in this section. And he says this, and he goes like, hell is a real place, and sin will lead you there. The chapter would eventually come to the famous parable of the lost sheep. Many of us have heard this parable. We've used it for uh, devotional purposes. We've heard it taught in multiple uh, settings. And we hear songs that are inspired from this passage. Jesus tells his disciples that the Father's heart is for that one sheep that has gone astray. 
that every sheep. And then in this, I, I don't want us to miss the point here is that Jesus' heart is not just simply for the one, but for both that one and the 99. It doesn't say in scripture that he was disappointed with the 99, therefore he goes to find the one. No, he says he simply rejoices more over the one. He still values the 99. Every sheep matters to God. Every sheep matters to the shepherd. Amen? So what we can gather from these three sections put together uh, is that the Lord's business is this. Is that he is about restoration and renewal. And his community is to be one that values the same things. If we, are, if we are saying that we are Christ followers, we are to be a community that knows that we are loved. And, and not only that, but we love one another and we care for one another. If we say that we want to be a community of believers and Christ followers, is that we are a community that takes sin seriously. If we want to be a community that says that we are Christ followers, we share in his heart. For that one that has gone astray to turn to the great shepherd one day. We share in the Lord's longing to restore and to renew. This is the Lord's heart. So let's pause here for a second to reflect. If you're here this morning... After a season of wandering and stray, the Lord welcomes you back. Early on when we, when we, when we started our service, is that it's not by accident that you walked in here this morning. I believe the Lord and his ways of, uh, and his, his, his authority over all things. He's brought you here to hear a message of love. To hear his message, to hear his call, to hear his voice that says, come back to me. Please hear that this morning his word speaks to your longing, to your weary soul. And he wants you back into his family. To those who have been following Jesus for a long time. This is a call to reflect to see where your heart is at. My prayer for us as Christ followers are that we become a people. That we are, are, are Holy Spirit driven people. That wherever the Holy Spirit leads us to, that we will be people that manifests the Lord's heart for the, for the one that he longs for. And what my, what I mean by that is this, is that we long for the things that breaks the Lord's heart. And as we grow deeper in our understanding for the Lord's heart, we grasp our duty as agents of renewal. Similarly, as a married couple, they share goals, they share similar things and dreams with one another. The Lord here, he shares his heart with his disciples. 
He shares it with the church. And not only does he shares it with them, he's not just simply, you know what, I think this will be great. No, no. He goes on from what we see in Scripture is that he charges the disciples to be what we will call agents of renewal in our time together. Is that this is something that he, he says that not only do you just hear what I'm talking about, but you are going to execute and you're going to achieve this dream. You are going to do these things on my authority. A side note here is that as you read this, these, the Matthew 18, one of the uh, study commentaries that I read, the author notices this. That some copies of scripture, Jesus' words are highlighted in red, right? So if you take a look at your Bible, you'll probably notice it too, is that this whole section of Matthew 18, it's red. It's not a paraphrase of what, uh, of what someone said that, oh, okay, I think this is what Jesus said. Or it's not, but, or it's not like, okay, I kind of remember, but I don't really remember. No, no. What is recorded in this section of scriptures is words directly from the Lord. I mean, this is a big deal. Like, like, brothers and sisters, do we understand that what we read is the very words of the creator of all things? So let this encourage you this morning that the words that we read from that time when he taught the disciples remain the same today. And not only that, his heart remains the same too. And the mission is the same. Now, that is the heart of the Father. To seek the loss, to redeem, to bring back those who have gone astray. So let's go back into our text, verse eight, verse fifteen here. Now Jesus begins this teaching on practical steps, how we are to be agents of renewal here. As we go through these next few verses, there are three objectives that falls under our duty as agents of renewal. Is our first one is that agents of as agents of renewals, we seek out others. Second, as agents of renewal, we seek out harmony. And third, as agents of renewal, we seek restoration. So, to our first point here, as agents of renewal, we seek out others. Verse 15, Jesus tells the disciples, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. As we read this passage, we must come to terms that as sinful beings, that we will offend and sin against somebody sometime in our life. But my encouragement and my reminder is that in those moments, may we be a people that will model Jesus' commands here. As Jesus teaches these things, we must take note that this process of seeking out is the duty of a Christ follower, not the other way around. 
What's interesting about this text is that it is not the offender that it is not the offender that seeks out the offended, but rather it's the other way around. Jesus says, "You, as the offended, must seek out the offender." As agents of renewal, this calls for us to go. It calls for action. We don't wait. As agents of renewal, we don't wait. We don't sit and sulk. We don't ignore the person. And, and this is, this is a big one is that we don't gossip. You see, it is by our nature to not confront. Maybe it's because we don't want to deal with it. Or rather, we have this, 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 this thought that we would rather just let them go on with how they are acting. But Jesus tells us here to go to that person and confront them. And in this confrontation is that to keep this circle of confrontation as small as possible for as long as possible. Confronting them from the sin that they've committed against you, or what I would add, the sin that they are caught in and refusing, refusing to turn from it. Pastor David Platt says this in his commentary on this passage, is that we are to love them enough not to sit back and watch them wander deeper and deeper into sin. We are to love them enough not to talk to everyone about it. Let us make a note here as well. That this text is not a license for us as Christ followers to nitpick every little thing that one might do to you. Or every annoyance or every frustrating moment. What, uh, let's recall what Peter writes in his letter to the church. You remember Peter was one of the disciples that was here at this moment. Peter writes to us, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since, since love covers a multitude of sins. The reality is, is that there are minor offenses. There are minor offenses, and we must overcome them with grace and love. Now, these minor offenses could be as simple as someone bumping into you, in the hallway. And it's a simple, okay, I'm sorry, right? Or if you go, if you're saving a meal and then you find out that someone ate your cheeseburger and you're like, man, I'm really, really angry about that. That's a minor offense. It's, it's okay. Go get another cheeseburger. One might say then, what would be considered a sin that is against me then? What, what, what would I consider a sin that is done against me? You see, others can perceive certain actions as sin against them. And it might be unknown to you that you've offended or sinned against them. So what do you do? What do you do in those moments where you go like, I didn't even know that I offended you? I believe we are called to exercise a mind of discernment and of peace. And in order for that to happen, is that it takes intentional listening. Because all for all we know is that this person that approaches us about this is that they could be right. And we can learn from it. Or they could be sharing a frustration 
that may not even have to deal with you. But this discernment is one that, again, takes intentional listening for us to move forward. So back to our text. I love what Jesus says here at the end of verse 15. He says this, is that if that brother, and again, just FYI, when Jesus says brother, he also means sisters here, is that if this brother or sister listens and receives you, you gained your brother and or sister. And I love that. The reason why I love that is that there is hope. There is hope in all of this. As agents of renewal, we go out seeking others to restore and to renew them through the power and love of the Holy Spirit. But what if they don't listen then? What do we do? And Jesus continues and brings it to our next few verses here, verses 16 to 17. He says this, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And he refuses to listen even to the church. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. As agents of renewal, we seek harmony. You may ask, how is this seeking harmony when we are now telling others about this person's sin? Now, at first, it may seem like it is gossiping, but before we let our assumptions dictate our thoughts and actions, what Jesus is doing here in verse 16 is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 19. And so this approach that Jesus is talking about is something that would be very familiar to the disciples. They would know that, okay, so this is where Jesus is going at. Some may ask, why do we do that? And I believe it is simple. Now, it's not to gain up on the individual, but I believe it's as simple as this, is that it is to gain wisdom and insight, to think, to think through the situation better. How is this harmonious? Where is harmony in the midst of us discussing someone's sin? You see, harmony, defined by Cambridge Dictionary, it says this. It's, harmony is a situation, in which a, a, a situation in which people are peaceful and agree with each other or when things seem right or suitable together. Christ followers, as agents of renewal, when we act together in harmony for one cause, the Lord honors that, the Lord rejoices in that, which Jesus affirms later on in this section of Scripture. So to the next part of this verse, the second half of verse 17, Jesus would command his disciples to do the following. Tell it to the church. If this person is not listening, we are commanded to bring it to the church, specifically spiritual leaders and elders. And though this may seem very unloving and harsh, letting everyone know about the sin issues that's going on in the person's life, we must feel and we must know the tone of Jesus here. It is not this, ew, you sin, we don't want you here, but rather as agents of renewal, we are to have the tone of Jesus within our character. This tone of love and desire to have them in fellowship with us once again. 
Now, if you've been tracking along with me, everything that Jesus said prior to this section kind of makes sense now, right? Jesus is saying, you have a responsibility to love your brother and sister. You have a responsibility to go out and seek that loss. One. You have a responsibility to keep your brother and sister accountable for sin. One author puts it this way. God loves us so much that if we are caught in sin, he will send an army of believers to us as a demonstration of his love and mercy. The verse would go on. And the verse tells us, and if they still continue to refuse, treat them like a Gentile and a tax collector. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus, you just told us that your heart is to find the lost sheep and you're inviting us to that. And then when we find them and we confront them about their sin and they still don't listen, you want us to just let them go? You want them to just be excommunicated or to be cut off? Well, Jesus, if that's the case, then what's the point? What's the point of me following what you've instructed me to do, Lord? First, let's get this straight. Is that Jesus is not contradicting himself here. He doesn't have short-term memory. He forgot what he said earlier. No, Jesus' concern here is both for his bride and for the sinner. Jesus is serious about his bride. Jesus is serious about his bride. And let me say that again, is that for us as a church, is that Jesus is serious about his bride. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to us instructions of how we are to run a household. But he also adds this piece into it, is that Jesus wants his bride to be without blemish. And in moments of unrepentance from sin, this can cause the bride to be with. So check out what Paul says when he addresses sin within the church of Corinth. He says this, Do you not know what a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Dr. Douglas Sean O'Donnell, he says this in his commentary, and which I really love, is that he says this, A little laxity leads to a lot of lapsing. He goes on to say this in his explanation of that saying is that a little leaven, which is this neglect of sin in a church, leavens the whole lump. It affects the whole church. In a similar sense, a little laxity, letting a sin go unchecked, leads to a lot of lapsing. Meaning, okay, if he does that, then maybe it's okay if he does this. It's okay if they continue on. It's okay. It's fine. We'll just turn a blind eye. You see, Jesus, he's serious about his bride. And he will do whatever he needs to do to make sure that his bride is kept without blemish. So, does this mean that it is the end for the unrepented sinner then? 
the ultimatum of excommunication, it doesn't go without reason. It is a consequence of unrepentant sin. And the reality is, is that when someone is cast out of the body of Christ, this is not a rejoicing moment. It is a painful and sorrowful moment. And it is not easy. Ministry leaders, let us not rejoice when someone is kicked out of a place. Let our hearts be burdened. In youth ministry, we get kids who are coming in who has backgrounds that are rough backgrounds. And then when, we act, when they act up within the community or within the gatherings, our immediate reaction is to, okay, you are banned from this. It is painful. It was filled with sorrow. When a brother or sister who is caught in sin is pushed out. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in his first letter, he tells them, address sin, because it's a serious issue. And hence, what we see in the first letter of Corinthians, they eventually, they excommunicated this man living in sin. In the second letter, (laughs) he writes to the church again, and he tells them to welcome back this repented man. What we miss sometimes is that second Corinthians actually is Paul saying, This man has repented from his sin. Therefore, welcome him back. And the church at the time, they were saying, no, we're not going to welcome this guy back. How often as we, as a church, are so quick to excommunicate and push someone out, But how slow are we to welcome them back into the body? Brothers and sisters, though this may be a hard saying of Jesus, there are times where we may not understand what happens when they are in this season of excommunication. But what Jesus says here, he says to do it. That even in the midst of the hard things, let us trust that Jesus, because he said it, it is a good thing. It is a good thing. In a world of either ors, meaning that there are two extremes, that we may be accustomed to see that the church should only focus on one thing. That the church only has one objective. And that one objective may be protecting the church. Some churches and some churches are, that's their primary focus is to, to, to protect the body and that's it. And then we have other churches who are so, uh, so, so driven to seek the loss. 
Now, not one or the other is better. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, through the power and the authority of the Lord, Jesus is able to do both. Jesus has a heart both for the church and for the sinner. And so for us as agents of renewal, we too are able to have the same. We can have a heart to protect the church. All the while we have a heart to love the one who has gone astray. We share in restoration with Jesus. And so to our last point, as agents of renewal, we seek restoration. Jesus goes on to say, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You see, the reality is dealing with conflict and relationships is hard work. It is tiresome. And the reality is, is that sometimes when we approach someone who is in the middle of sin, they might actually retaliate and hurt us instead. You see, I believe some of us in this room, we've tried this approach before. And instead of being received, you were hurt instead. In the midst of hard work as agents of renewal, let us be encouraged that when we go to someone and approach sin, is that we do not act in our own power or our own strength, but rather we go forth in the power and authority of Jesus as what he tells us here. As agents of renewal, Jesus' heart for restoration and his authority for that is upon you. His power and authority is upon you. In the final three verses of our section, Jesus, he gives the disciples comfort with these words. I have given you authority to do these things. And these things are, and we're asking, what are these things then? These things is to address sin. Now, Jesus isn't giving the disciples and us some kind of special authority outside of himself, but instead his authority is rooted. This authority that we have is rooted in Jesus himself and his words. Jesus is saying that what we do here on earth as we seek, as we address sin, as we renew, as we restore those who are lost, it is a reflection of what happens in heaven. Now, isn't that great news? Isn't that great news that we get to see lives renewed and restored? That we get to see the spiritually dead come alive through Jesus. We get to be a part of that church. We get to see those who have gone astray and those who have left the, left the church or those who are living in sin. And we get to see them return back. Remember the story of the prodigal son. You see that party that, 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 the product, that the father put on? Is that we get to be a part of that. Jesus continues on. And, the, and with the last two verses here. Now these two last, these last two verses are often and radically misunderstood. Now I've heard this passage used in prayer gatherings. 
I don't think that you will be condemned for misusing it either. I think the Lord rejoices when we come together to pray just as much as he rejoices when we go to him in our private prayer times. But as we look at these two verses and the context in which they are used, Jesus' words of comfort to us is that in the midst of the hard work of renewing relationships, we can find confidence when we gather together to confront sin. Again, the Lord does not play around with sin. Sin is a serious issue. And when we take sin issues seriously, I believe the Lord rejoices. Because we align ourselves with his heart for renewal and for restoration. As agents of renewal, let us always be seeking restoration for those who have gone astray. Through and by the power and authority of Jesus. Amen. So what happened with Jer and I? As years went by and life happened, uh, there was definitely a distance that came between us. Uh, I remember talking with Ellen, uh, Ellen, and I, I was telling her about this. Um, I was trying to figure out why. Why is there this distance between us? And then there was like this uh, Nathan and David moment. And if you guys don't know what that reference is, it's like when, when, when David was confronted about sin and uh, the prophet Nathan uh, tells him about this, uh, tells him the story and, and, da- and David goes like, well, this is what should happen. And then Nathan's like, you are that man. Uh, I had one of those moments with my wife. And as I was sharing this, Ellen, in her gentle and loving ways, she tells me, sweetie, do you hear yourself? Sweetheart, you are the one that left him. You abandoned him. And you may not even know what you did, but nonetheless, now that you do know, you need to address this with him. You see, in this moment, it wasn't him that offended me. I was, yes, I was offended that there was a distance between us. But I found out that I was the offender. I didn't love my brother. I didn't love my best friend. I didn't care enough back then. But now that I know, and I know that in my soul about this, I needed to address this. So I remember in the month of January 2021, uh, I went home to visit some family. And there was a few other things that happened during that season but I remember I met up with Jer. I remember calling him up. I'm like, hey, like, every time I go visit home, like, we, he just comes over to, to, to my mom's house where we stay. We just hang out. But this time I asked him, I was like, let's grab dinner together. So I remember we went to a spaghetti warehouse in downtown Akron. And it was there. I remember sitting with him. And I remember just sitting with him. I was just like, hey. I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm sorry I left you. Like, those many years ago. I'm sorry that I abandoned you. What you guys don't know is that Jer, when my dad was sick, 
uh, before he passed, Jer was there at the hospital with my family and with me every single day unless he didn't have to, unless he worked. And no one thanked him for it. And I remember talking with him. I said, and I'm sorry that we never thanked you. I never thanked you for being there for me. I remember us tearing up and crying at Spaghetti Warehouse. So, But I remember at the end of that, this weight that laid heavy on my heart for so long, this wondering of what happened, it was lifted. And this distance that, that I could clearly feel that was in between us was shortened. To that I say praise to God for his word and his promises are true. That he is the God of renewal and he desires to renew your relationships. Now, the thing about Jer is that you guys, some of us, we probably already met him already. He comes and he hangs out with us. God desires to renew your relationships. No matter how broken you may think they are. He wants to renew them. I'm sure many of us, we have similar stories. And I pray that in this upcoming year, there will be many more. Brothers and sisters, as agents of renewal, with one common goal, let us go renewing relationships.